This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back. We are, uh, I've got Kyle on the other line, and we are discussing a topic that I don't know if we've ever really covered it in this sort of light. And uh, so, Kyle, thanks for joining. Yep, yep, good to be on, sitting here, getting a little rain today and breaking the drought finally after about a year, so it's good. No kidding, you guys have been that dry? Been pretty dry. <laughs> we were dry in April, but once April, once May came in, we started getting regular weekly rains. And uh, when that happened, I mean, it was just like all of a sudden, you know, I, I care more about grass growing than I ever have now that we have cows. And so it's like, man, it's just really slow this spring with this dry weather. And then all of a sudden it was like, poof, I'm mowing the yard twice a week trying to just keep it down. I'm like, all right, now grass is growing. Yeah, you guys picked up some storms that we didn't get up here. My Kansas farm was worse. It missed several things, but it's finally got rain the last 10 days or so. Nice. Yep. Nice. Very cool. Well, um, this is a... Uh, Speaking of weather and speaking of, uh, you know, I think there's more people now probably tuning in to watching weather in the spring, especially for a wildlife standpoint, than than maybe in modern era ever before. Um, I think with more people aware of the decline of the turkey and for the five people that were screaming about the decline of the quail, um, they were, they've been very aware um, and I say that tongue in cheek, I was kind of expecting a reaction out of you because it, I know it probably felt like you were the lone person, you and Frank were the lone people in Missouri screaming about the quail decline, but, um, it feels like probably more people are watching weather, thinking about weather, imp weather impacts on nesting, um, season than, than ever before. What do you think? Yeah, I feel good just overall, not just weather. I think the, the turkey world has done a better job than the the quail world did 30 years ago. Um, the decline, people are, I guess, panicking <laughs> sooner, which is a good thing. People are yeah. raising awareness um, earlier on on this turkey deal and saying, hey, we got to do something and trying to educate people on on the biology and and as you're mentioning, how the weather affects them, everything. So that's been good. That's been refreshing to see because I think the quail thing, people just kind of, well, the quail are disappearing and they quit hunting. And there wasn't a lot of public campaigning until you know, there has been in the last 20 years, but the first 30 years of the decline, there was not a lot of public education or campaigning. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when people were talking to me about it being so dry, I was like, there's a time of the year I want it to be drier. It's the spring. I would almost rather have a drier spring, you know, that April, May, than have a dry June, July, part of August and September. <laughs> you yeah. know, 
I would being dry in September, October is really, really tough lately. And, uh, you know, if I were to pick a dry spell, I'd rather have it in the spring rather than the fall. Um, so we'll see what happens this year, but, um, I wanted to discuss with Kyle, uh, we kind of brainstormed this yesterday pretty quickly in, uh, in regards to this topic, and I'm just going to shoot from the hip on this one because um, with, the, with the information that's out there now about the decline of the wild turkey, and then also you take in the resources now and the information that's being put out there about what we can do. Um, the Wild Turkey Science Podcast has been really good about that, really getting people um, talking and discussing um, different techniques and all the resources and research that's going into it. Um, and it has people very aware of of the need for brood rearing cover and nesting cover and uh winter mass production and then of course predators get brought up and if we're on the topic of brood rearing um which seems to be you know uh one of the most it goes from nesting cover to to brood rearing um and you look at the data that's out there about the the such the uh, there's such a limited supply of it um, that kind of stirred the thoughts that I had on this one. That's where this podcast is going. Um, so, Kyle, why don't you for some people that may have missed some of the podcast, why don't you discuss um, nesting cover from a turkey standpoint, and then try to and then also cover uh, similarities as as well as differences for for game bird, smaller game bird species like bobwhite quail or, or pheasant even, or even prairie chicken. Yeah, the, you know, nesting cover for turkeys is, is typically focused on, you know, some residual vegetation. So there's some amount of thatch, last year's growth, maybe two years of growth. Um, herbaceous, so uh, ideally not just grass, a mix of forbs and grass because she's gonna have to stretch her legs She's going to have to get a bite to eat every day while she's incubating for a month almost. So, uh, but that usually also comes with some overhead cover, uh, whether it's shrubby stuff or, um, you know, just woody re-sprouts, brushy. So it could be trees, but younger age, it could be tree tops. I see turkeys lots of times, um, kind of tucking a nest up under some vegetation that's growing up through a felled treetop. Uh, they like to have something over their heads. So they don't have to worry about a, an owl crashing down and, and grabbing them by the scruff of the neck in the middle of the night while they're sitting. Um, so when you look at that compared to some other species, bobwhite quail would nest in that same stuff. Pheasants and, and prairie chickens, that's, you know, probably you start adding the woody cover and they're not going to be comfortable in that. So they're going to want to be out more in, in the open grassland type habitats and away from that, the woody cover. Um, one thing we found a real difference in quail um, in our research that Frank and I did here in Missouri is they don't need last year's growth. What we found is they'll use it. They'll use the thatch to make a nest bowl. But we found them as soon as the vegetation gets tall enough to cover up their head, 
they'll nest and stuff burn this spring. So in Missouri, that switch happens about July 1st. They'll happily nest in a, something that was burned three months before. As soon as the vegetation's tall enough to cover up their head, they'll tuck a nest under a clump of little blue stems. So they don't really have to have that last year's growth. And, and turkeys for that matter. I mean, we know there's documentation of turkeys laying eggs just right on leaf litter, um, you know, in closed canopy forests. Now, is that good nesting habitat, nesting cover? No. Will they do it if they're forced to? Yes. Um, but those, those nests are obviously highly visible. That's, that's not ideal. So ideal would be this nice mix of vegetation with a little bit of brushy component added to it. I'm going to jump in right there and say, I think it's ironic. I don't see people debating that leaf, that closed canopy forest is, and, and nesting in leaf litter is a, is a quality nesting site for a hen turkey. But we see it. Um, I can remember as a kid seeing it. It seemed like every spring we'd find a hen who was nesting in, you know, at the base of a tree in heart closed canopy. But ironically... There's nobody trying to debate that, even though you see it. But more people will try to debate white-tailed deer finding good bedding in in uh, cedar thickets when it's like the only somewhat cover in the area. They're like, oh, it's good because the deer bed in there. It's funny that people go to their grave arguing that one. But with turkeys, they're like, no, we can all agree that closed canopy forest nesting in the leaves is not a good option. <laughs> yeah, it, you know you actually gave me this example and I've used it probably a hundred times since, but uh, just because we see something doesn't mean it's that's ideal. Um, and your example was if we see a homeless man eating out of a dumpster, our solution for the homeless problem or hunger problem isn't to add more dumpsters. That doesn't mean that's good habitat for that man. It's what he's forced no to do. And no it's, the same thing with wildlife. We just because you observe something doesn't mean, oh, see, that's fine. No, that may be their only choice. They're hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Um, so no anyway. doubt. Yep. Dr. Craig Harper reused that line. I heard that years ago, and it's like, man, what a good analogy just to hear that uh, for, for people. And so, you know, one thing I want you to point out though, when you're looking at the nesting and, and saying that quail have the opportunity to use stuff. Um, that was burned this year compare peak nesting of a of a you just take missouri for example when is peak nesting for turkeys in missouri on average yeah probably it does vary slightly from north to south we have some research in the north right yeah. now that showed um, north missouri right up on the iowa line that uh, you know the the mean incubation peak of incubation starting was May 15th. So that's a little a little bit later, maybe a, a week or two later than we see a fair amount of hens already incubating probably by May 1st or 5th down here. Um, but you're right. So that, you know, some re-nests, some lost nests, sure, there's some later stuff, but we're really talking the month of May for Missouri, sitting on turkey nests, sitting on eggs, going into June some, whereas quail are actively nesting. Um, our research showed it, but so is lots of others all summer. We have just as many nests hatching in some years in August 
as there are in, in late June. So quail are utilizing that entire summer and turkeys aren't. If, if I'm not saying it's impossible. People probably had broods, turkey broods that hatched out, you know, late July, but that's pretty rare. And that's also a indication of something really bad happened earlier in the year. There shouldn't be many nests hatching um, that late. And, and prairie chickens and pheasants are similar. They're, they're not dragging this nesting thing out all summer like quail do. Yes. Yeah. And so for, for the sake of today's topic, we're going to focus more on, on, uh, the wild Turkey and just due to the nesting periods being different from quail to a Turkey. Um, but since we covered nesting, let's cover brood rearing now. Try to give us a rundown of what brood rearing cover would look like for a wild turkey. A little, you know, less um, old growth, more, we want more bare ground. We've talked about it dozens of times where they need to be able to move around those little chicks. They need to be able to stay dry. So they, they literally need bare ground between plants to be able to move. We need a diversity of forbs, a diversity of herbaceous plants. Um, honestly, for brood habitat, we don't need any grass. It could be all forbs, weeds, whatever you want to call them. But typically there's some grasses mixed in. So it can be your the very similar species to your nesting structure. It just needs to be less dense, more open so they can move better. And then the height is important too, um, especially if you've got some brushy component. That that hen has to feel safe. She needs to periscope her head up, be able to look around and see danger. So if you've got some of that couple years since burn older growth and a little brushier, she's not going to want to take her brood in there. You know, it looks like a big, dark, scary place that she's thinking about cat could be behind every bush and that's not where she's going to want to take her brood so a nice diverse mix of herbaceous stuff that attracts a lot of different insects that's open space between plants um can't be too short you know those little those little chicks need to be sheltered from the hot sun and and rain and 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 overhead predators they need to be able to squat down and hide under under some canopy of vegetation and if they need to Perfect. Yep. And so when, with all the stuff and the discussions on brood rearing and nesting, it, it automatically, I think, causes us to categorize a 12 month calendar date. This is brood rearing for this year. And this is nesting for next year. And I'm guilty of, I've been guilty of this on a podcast because we're trying to simplify land management and, and as, as, as best as we can, to where you go, okay, we've burned this, let's say this woodland or this old field, or this savanna, this prairie, this spring, that is for the sake of the wild turkey, that is brood rearing this spring, early summer, um, and, and, and throughout the summer. I wouldn't necessarily I would say they're going to raise their young poults there whenever they hatch out um, and spend a lot of time there. And then you look over and you say, here's a section that we didn't burn for the last two years. It's got a lot more debris. It's got a lot more thatch. That's going to be quality nesting cover. And that's where I'm, I'm looking at this going, okay, you know, when, when you, 
pull out your onyx or your mapping and you try to say, okay, here's the burn unit. That's, that's brood rearing. Um, you look around, you say, okay, here's a nesting, an area of good nesting cover. Here's an area uh, on the other side of that nesting cover that's brood rearing. On the other side of that brood rearing is some nesting cover and it's all kind of puzzle pieced across the landscape. And this is where the, the meat and potatoes of this podcast kind of came up. This discussion was, uh, there's a spot on our farm that uh, years ago we had the loggers come in. I think it was probably four years ago. Loggers came in and I told them, you know, this area is chocked full of big hickories, big black oaks, dotted white oaks. And the black oaks are starting to show some signs. And I'm sure once we cut them, we're going to look at the butt logs and see a lot of uh, doty centers, rotten centers, hollow trees. Um, so I told the logger, I said, why don't you cut the hickories that are all of size that, that you can get uh, some money out of, and then also cut the black oaks of size. And when he did that, he cut it more aggressive than we were even realizing. Um, this is before we were able to get out front and start marking the timber. This was kind of one of those, in fact, the property was still being leased, uh, and I was managing it for the previous landowner and he, uh, he cut pretty aggressive. And because of that, there's a lot of sunlight coming to the forest floor. So, and it's east slope, so lots of moisture. And there's a east and west slope, but the dominating spot is is eastern uh, east slope that that I'm discussing here. And there's a huge amount of response. Lots of lots of green vegetation, from oak region to hazelnuts to all kinds of herbaceous plants and uh, and some native grasses, native cool season grasses. And in that, you you drive by it and you look at it and you say, "Wow, that is that is a really that right now that is an awesome place for a turkey to nest. Um, good mix of everything uh, native through there. There's some bramble patches, the blackberry patches, um, and some raspberry patches. Like that just looks good. Um, but here's the here's the dilemma, and this is what I think many guys are facing when they start discussing managing for turkeys just as equal as managing for deer. Um, when you look at, okay, you take all the research, you say, okay, I need nesting and I need, and I need brood rearing, but how does that come into, I want quality deer bedding because the idea that you want open ground, the ability for turkey poults to move through that does not sit well for thinking that a mature buck's going to, going to lay down and, and feel comfortable. Right, Kyle? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the honest truth is in most rainfall environments to, to have ideal brood rearing, it's a fairly frequent disturbance. Uh, unless you're in a really dry part of the country. I mean, we're talking about probably from here East, you're burning every other year that units. If you really wanted to keep it um, brood rear and habitat a minimum of once every three years probably so pretty frequent fire and, uh, which and is, if yeah if you've reduced the canopy at all it's going to have to be every two or it is yeah. not yeah i mean this spot they burned it last year and it's already i mean it's tall now and you're like man you know with the amount of sunlight and the amount of moisture on the knee slope like if we're going for brood rain it has to be burned every other year um 
and that's where you you think about that on a landscape going okay you know especially if most of your property is forested and you're trying to accomplish brood rearing um it's not setting the property up well for dense cover for especially mature deer to feel comfortable bedding it sets up well for great summer forage but not from a cover cover standpoint and so this is about balancing white-tailed deer management with turkey management and that's that's not for my from what i've seen that's not really getting discussed a whole lot and i want to hopefully shine some light on it for people um so going back to this this unit that chad and matt actually burned last year um and then they burned it last year and it looks i mean it was incredible brood rearing opportunity but then you go over the course of a year and we're talking it's it's good nesting cover now it's not set up well for brood rearing um and so if if you go let's just say that turkeys are nesting on around my farm uh april through mid to late may after late may those those or let's just say june nesting is for the most part over there might be a few scragglers i i don't know how would would you agree with that kyle that by yeah, I mean, it, should, it should be yeah you know, our, our, the missouri research turkey stuff showing only a less than 20 percent re-nest effort which is so this whole idea of you know ah, if the first nest doesn't make it no big deal they'll try again eh only one out of five is even trying again so it's pretty much they got to get it done this first go round or it's over yeah so you go to June, after that, we're waiting for these poults to grow up somewhere else and then get somewhat of size to even use this what was nesting cover again. And I think much of the idea is that to create brood-rearing cover, we're, we're going to say needs burned, it needs dormant season disc maybe get into the herbicide world um, using herbicides to to create that uh, create brood rearing habitat but I think most people would say that when they think about creating brood rearing cover it's probably going to come in the form of fire or dormant season disking um, am I missing any of the obvious ones or any other uh, brood rearing projects or ways to create brood rearing cover Kyle no, I agree. And in fact, we keep increasing our annual rainfall other than last year's drought here in, in the Midwest and East. We just, we keep getting thicker vegetation, more vigorous, aggressive growing vegetation. So more disturbance, yes, whether it's fire combined with, I'm starting to use fire combined with herbicide treatments, um, pretty regular in my open CRP management on my own farm because I just fire alone isn't cutting it. Um, got to do something else to go with it lots of times. Yeah. It can be, <laughs> it can be burning during the dormant season and not really getting rid of the fescue or the brome. It can be burning in the, in the winter and, and having too many, uh, too much native warm season grasses coming on. Um, it just seems like we're in a, we're in a world right now where grasses are, are dominating um, grasses and woody and woody sprouts. 
um, depending on where you're at in the world. So you look at it going, they need forbs, they need those herbaceous plants. And you're like, <laughs> that's the thing that's most difficult to manage for in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and so that that really goes, okay, how can we take it a step further and go, I have great nesting, but once nesting season's over, I would like to turn that into something that's more beneficial uh, for turkeys, especially. But at the same time, if you piggyback that with an area that I don't necessarily want deer to spend a, 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 a huge amount of time, especially in the fall. So imagine that you have an area that for access reasons, ingress and egress, you're like, I'd rather there not be deer at this part of the farm because, you know, if they are there, then that means I can't hunt the spot that is more conducive for harvesting mature deer. And you go, okay, well, if that's the case, then I I want all my management here to be more suited for turkeys and not so suited for deer. And that's where I, we we've are thinking and considering the idea of like, if you have these areas that let's say they're woodlands, but because of food plots and, and better bedding elsewhere, or this is in a, a terrain, the terrain is ultimately a bowl. Um, you've got West slope, South slope, East slope, and a road that goes all the way around it. You're like, man, th- this, this is not set up well for deer to be bedded. I would not like them to be bedded in here. And so our idea is, what if you, t- if this is nesting cover, what if you rolled cows in in June and now we're knocking those thatch loads down, we're creating a disturbance, we're creating trails, we're creating bare ground, we're bringing in manure with the cows and, uh, we also are, you know, the insects that are coming with, with the manure. You are now going, you're expending, uh, expanding the usable space on the property for the turkeys and other birds while also accomplishing goals of steering deer away during the fall. Now, they'll still use it during the summer months, especially with, with the new vegetation, that the regrowth once the cows are removed, because you're ultimately flash graziness you would be sending cows in for a week at tops um, depending on how big the area is and then you're out of there and so with the new growth that's coming on those forbs i'm sure it's highly preferred by deer and so they'll use it during the summer but it's not set up well for mature bucks to be bedded in during the fall and certainly not set up well for any number of deer to use it when we're doing more high quality bedding elsewhere on the farm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It, it comes down to the quality of the bedding. So not only will deer use what you're describing in the summer, they're gonna, they'll browse it in the fall and, and winter probably too some, um, but that, that heavier dense cover um, certainly can be elsewhere. So I, I don't think it's even compromising the operation for for a deer's sake and in fact in this case you know you're specifically like hey i don't want deer bedding in here but um sure you're gonna you get that occasional deer that beds down random places but it's for the most part i think we've figured out you know over time we we prescribed very specific bedding thickets and how to design those 
with a less disturbance regime. And oh, by the way, they're usually dense enough. We don't really consider them turkey habitat. They're not, again, a scary dark place. If it's a really good bedding thicket, the mama's not taking her brood into that because it's it's got enough brush and briars and brambles and everything else that it's it's fairly terrifying but those are usually on a smaller scale i mean those are one half acre to five acres yeah not talking about 40 acre units of solid bedding yeah i and and that's where if you are i see this with with properties that have some size where you're like man there's parts of this farm that i really want to get to but i have to go through some real estate that i don't know if deer are going to use it or not but you you know some mornings i'll drive up there and they blow out of there or some mornings i walk up there and there's nothing around and it's just too hard to say it's like that's a perfect place to try to make that more brood rearing habitat or nesting habitat depending on your fire disturbance or depending on the disturbance to create that habitat and um, try to de- deter deer from using it. Like instead of doing TSI with chop and drop, maybe it's more like a, maybe it's more like a, a, a hack and squirt um, or a girdle and spray and leave a lot of that vegetation standing and get that plant response on the forest floor and then figure out a way to keep it where it's not turning into a rank area or a thicker area that deer want to prefer, uh, would prefer to bed. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I mean, it only makes sense and that he can kill two birds with one stone here, not to mention all the other non-game wildlife that tends to prefer that habitat as well. And I, I'm aware that this is a very unique situation. You know, some people think I'm crazy because I talk about cows on our farm and, I've had the question come up many times of would your farm be more productive for for deer if you had no cows? And I'm like, well, I'm sure, but the workload and the expense that it would take to make that happen, just I just can't justify it, and I won't justify it. And I care about turkeys just as much as I care about deer. And I'm just thinking about guys in pine plantation or areas that, we have a ton of clients that have properties that could have cows on them, but they're like, nah, I don't know if I'm ready yet. We've also had properties where guys have bought cows that have never had cows on it before that they've owned and they're getting into it. And I'm, this is a podcast or a lot of those guys where it's like, you know, this might be something to consider expand out, thin some timber way back, make it woodland or Savannah like, and then graze it flash graze it during the summer and get a few days or a week off of your other grasses. What, how do you guys, how do you guys utilize this for quail, Kyle? Uh, well, let me back up. I was going to say, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to go out and buy a herd of cattle to do this. Keep in mind that is the water source might be the biggest issue for some people, but in a lot of cases, your neighbor might have cattle say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about. You could run a little electric. Hey, I'd just like to run your cattle in this 20 acres or this 40 acres for two weeks. Um, and you let him do it for free and you get what you want. He gets some little free grazing for a week or two. So there, there's other options out there without having to just go buy a herd and, or become yeah. a cattleman. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, for quail, um, you know, we're doing more season long typically on the public lands, uh, patch burn grade, where we burn part of it, we stock, maybe we say we would burn 50 acres, but we, a third of it, but we would stock a, the whole pasture is 150 acres. We would stock the whole thing and, and let the cows go where they want. And they spend two thirds of their time in the burn unit. So they graze it a little heavier. They graze the other two thirds less heavy. So you get this mix of good nesting and brood rearing all throughout the, the whole 150 acre pastures. And our radio telemetry shows that quail readily use it for both nesting and brood rearing. Um, so you're getting the best of both worlds in that case with quail where they're nesting all summer. Um, we can have them nesting and brood rearing in the exact same habitat. We don't have to have these discrete units of, hey, you nest over here and then you got to pack your kids, you know, 400 yards to go find this brood cover. Um, it's, it's just all there. And that's how we utilize the grazing specifically for, for quail. Um, but you're, your example is perfect in idle units. Say we have a rest year and we'll get, if we don't burn it, we'll get some nesting, but there's no brood rearing in it. I mean, our radio data shows the quail just abandon it. It's too thick. Even, even if it's just one year since burn, if it's not burned that year or being grazed from the, it's just not going to get brood use. It's too thick. So they've got to go find something else. We're in 46 inch rainfall country here. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I know, hopefully this is kind of a, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot more conversations about this in the future when we discuss as <laughs> never in a, never in, a million years would I ever have expected there to be people hungry for turkey management as as it seems deer management. Now I know there's the deer guys in the world that don't even can't even fathom the idea of managing for turkeys on a piece of ground when it could be managed for deer. But I've had so many people message and and post on social media or ask on social media about how to manage for turkeys that it's like this is a topic that is going to have to be discussed more, and that is how to how to create that balance of quality turkey habitat as well as quality deer habitat, and how do you manage for both to try to maximize both. And yeah. I, I think you have to first address that you can't maximize them both because if it was if it was only for deer, you would make it a whole lot thicker than you would if it was for deer and turkeys. But if you were managing for turkeys, it'd be a whole lot more sparse and burned up and disturbed that it wouldn't be as conducive for deer. But if you identify the areas that you don't want deer due to access and understanding then, we can use yeah. proper turkey management to improve our hunting, not necessarily to improve our deer then that's where we're really going to get in and, and find some good nuggets on how to manage your property to maximize your turkey return as well as your deer hunting potential. Then just to clarify, you said, you know, where you don't want deer, and that's where you don't want deer bedded because Correct. they are going to use the heck out of this habitat as far as, you know, fawning. Oh, my gosh, it's perfect fawning cover. No doubt. Um, 
they're going to use it all summer for forage. So, I mean, this is this is truly great deer habitat. We just don't want them bedding in it. So it's Correct. a very specific part of their daily routine. Hey, you can't sleep here. You can do whatever you want here, but you can't sleep here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's where uh, I know we're going to cover this more in the future, but that's hot on my brain right now. So I appreciate you joining me, Kyle. And uh, what else is going on? What kind of projects have you got going on at the farm this month? Oh, messing around, doing a little experimenting. Uh, Frank and I talked about it on another podcast. Uh, I'm messing around with some different chemicals and trying to do some test plots on thick rank um, old CRP and figure out some ways to open it up better for longer term you know fire lasts a few months but i need to get it to where it's more forbs and more open for two or three years um different different things like that there's always time to run or always the need to run a chainsaw <laughs> um, i'll unfortunately be spraying cerisa this summer as usual just never ending yep but it's good stuff it's fun yeah, messed around, redid a pond. I'm stocking some hybrid bluegill. I got some, I got some fun things going too. Not just, right. not just work. Yeah, we've got. Uh, we just finished up spring food plots. It's the first time in a while we've not had a project pressing that caused us to be late on planting food plots. You know, we've had building fence, moving cows, buying cows, uh, getting a forestry management plan done. Um, all kinds of other stuff uh, that that hadn't allowed us to get food plots in, and we got them wrapped up this week for the most part. We have a new one that's going to get pushed in with the dozer here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, and, and we got to plant some uh, summer blends, like a heritage blend from Stratton and, and different things. But soybeans are in the ground, and we're just soaking up rain. Nice. Yeah, then perfect timing for for spring summer plots to be in the ground and growing now for sure yeah so guys we appreciate it we hope hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll catch you next week